I'm Jessica Benoist-Young. And I'm Melanie Reed. And this is Best Line. Worst Line. I gotta say, this was, um, we gave ourselves a real big challenge yeah, choosing I, a Best Line this week. I uh, with- don't know why we did this for ourselves. <laughs> I mean, I, we have, we have done some hard things. We have, we have done some hard things before we have done, um, we have done, uh, animation, which is very carefully crafted. We have done, um, musicals that some are very carefully crafted and we have done, (laughs) the good ones ones are, um, we have done a improv that had 60 hours of footage and then cut down to 89 best minutes. So that was carefully crafted. (laughs) So we've yeah. had some hard, best, and, like, worst line choosing, but yes. we have never put ourselves through a playwright to the caliber of Oscar Wilde before. Very true. So, so this this week, um, I, I don't know, like, where I got this in my head. Yeah, um, this definitely came from you. Yeah, it was like, when we were talking about what we wanted to do in season two, I think we were both just, like, trying to get inspiration from everywhere so like I was Mm -hmm. keeping a running mental list as I would see like um what was coming across like Netflix and HBO and Amazon Prime and like anything that we could watch you know for free and that everyone could watch for free and Mm -hmm. um you know just trying to think and then we have done a lot of movies from this year this 2002 Apparently, it's um, like the best year of movies. In so it was like these movies were like then. Po- I was just kind of like remembering this whole era, era of my movie watching, and this one stuck in. Like it came across uh, my recommendations one day somewhere, and I was like, "Oh, you know, we've talked about this movie before. We should do it." And then we were talking about how we needed to do a Colin Firth movie, and we said we were going to do Colin Firth, and so. Um, I, I definitely like pushed this one and pushed this one. And then I pushed it on our guest (laughs) Um, and, and, but it works. And I just kind of threw it out there. You know, our guest today is, is a writer, um, an author. And so I just kind of was like, Hey, you don't happen to like, you know, just be obsessed with Oscar Wilde. Um, you don't happen to have seen the 2002 importance of being earnest and you don't happen to love that. And she's like, I do. (laughs) Our guest today, uh, is the messaging director and COO at a creative studio in Iowa. By night, she writes fantasy adventure stories. She is best known for her Mal and Reg novels of Wittershins, in which a snarky demon and an inept human hero are bound together on an ill-conceived quest. I am reading these books right now. Go read these books. If you are like a person who has seen any tiny bit of what I do, you will love this shit is the funniest oh my god it's so funny it's it's the best i i told her i want like a video game and a board game i would take a television series i'll take a movie i just mal is my soulmate and that we'll just leave that there wait is your character <laughs> is the character named mal and al mal. Or a- he's the demon mal Ma- i'm not gonna be able to do it Shit, I should know this. I was trying to memorize his his full name. It's a demon name. Well, we should probably just have our guest tell us. Yes. <laughs> her fiction work appears in the Rebel Diaries anthology and the Exquisite Poison anthology, and her nonfiction work appears on websites, commercials, and blogs across the country. Her pen name, where you can find her books, is A.E. Kincaid. Please welcome the fabulous A.E. Kincaid. hi thank you so much for having me please don't make me say mal's it's full name oh wait no i I know is it mal fourth it's maldon belroth kilranith 15th of his name lord of the underworld suburb of artifice on leith giver of paper cuts collapser of souffles and inventor of the humble brag (laughs) he's not (laughs) does he mansplain also because i think that's that's probably you know a given 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think he mansplains, but Reg Reginald. How? Okay, I'm reading it as Astraddle. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You got it. <laughs> okay. okay. So Reginald Astraddle is is the human, and he's so dumb that like. Okay. He has he, to. Sort of Mal has to explain a lot of things. So, so he's mansplaining then. He's mousesplaining. Yes, yep. he is mousesplaining. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. on that, we're done. <laughs> that was it. Um, actually, funny <laughs> joke, the last time we were here, I'm going to say this and jinx us, um, we, we tried to do this. We tried to do this several yes. weeks this ago. This is our second this is, time. This is take two. Our third that reschedule, our second take. <laughs> our third reschedule, our second take. This is a, that was a dress rehearsal all leading up to where we... Right, bring Amy on to officially and actually talk about the 2002 Colin Firth and Rupert Everett importance of being earnest. And this was a delight. I forgot so how much good. I love this. It's so good. Yeah, I was so, when Jessica was like, I forget what other movie you suggested, yeah. but I was, as soon as you said this one, I was like, yeah, that one. one. <laughs> <laughs> one. <laughs> I think I was like trying to find something magic y, and there was like some urban fantasy movie that had kind of come out and I, I suggested yeah. that but I wasn't quite sold on it and I was like or we've been talking about importance of, be- importance of being earnest and she was like uh yeah 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 <laughs> well, the whole cast is so good it's so I mean it's so quick and clever which is like, feels like the most obvious duh Melanie statement as we mentioned it's Oscar Wilde and just I mean so many of Oscar Wilde's writings were foundational to me yeah I think in my I think in my in our first take we talked uh, just a little bit about like Oscar Wilde or you know what Oscar Wilde um but like I think I was like a little pissed off that 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 Dorian Gray picture of Dorian Gray is not like part of high school curriculum yes in the United States and I think it's like just such a heavy hitter, honestly, because it isn't full on satire, but it contains his typical like social commentary and very like witty approach to it. So you can introduce the concept of satire with mm-hmm. any Oscar Wilde. And and it's so heavy with symbolism. It's yes. short. I mean, it's not a super long novel. About? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like the symbolism, the witticism, the social commentary, like the, just the progression of like the plot is all just such good teaching material. And I read that, I think when I was like a senior in high school and I was like, why the fuck weren't we reading this? Everybody would love this shit. This is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like tore through it in a weekend as an 18 year old. I mean, who does that? (laughs) And same thing with animal farm, animal farm. I loved it. It was great. And it was not required reading. And I like had fun reading it on my own. And I was always just like, okay, why are we not like just doing more clever books in high school curriculum instead of some of the stuff that we are putting in high school curriculum. <laughs> what are you know. talking about? <laughs> Old Man in the Sea was a I hated Old Man in the Sea so much. Um, I didn't have I to read Old even... Man in the Sea. Um, I hated it. Um, <laughs> I What I didn't hate, though, was we did get to read Ernest. Because I, like, I always You read Ernest? I did. Nice. I can't remember if it was in my senior year English class which that sounds right for the AP test. Mm-hmm. AP lit. I'm pretty sure we read it. Okay. Or if okay. it was, or if it was in um, acting, I, I think it was my AP lit class, but I that remember right. just like being like the turn of phrase. And as I get older, I catch like, I mean, now as an adult, I've caught so much more of the like subtle innuendo or the turn of phrase. Yeah. But I just remember the, the unexpected. I mean, we talk about this in comedy all the time. Um, the like, you know, comedy is a mix of what's surprising and inevitable. So mm-hmm. it's surprising, like w- the punchline or the joke is what's surprising, but the way we get there is inevitable. And then after it's said, you're like, oh, well, that had to be the, that, like, that was the yeah. inevitable. But it's like, 
it can't be too inevitable and it can't be too surprising because then it's crazy. And if it's too inevitable, it's not funny. Um, and so I think this is such a, this Oscar Wilde's reading has, or writing has such a nice balance of that. And I think what encapsulates that to me is the handbag because it's like, yes, the most, like, <laughs> it's, and so it's such an important ridiculous. Plot he was like, he was found in a handbag and it is surprising. Like when he says it, and and the way that she plays with it is like I can't have my daughter marry out from a cloakroom like that like like right. and <laughs> we can, when we get into the lines I know I messed that up oh she, the what charitable gentleman who had a first class ticket to the seaside resort uh, find you in a handbag and it and Colin first line read is magnificent in that and she and then you know you did a handbag yes right in line or and then like where. At the real station, and then they skip like the Brighton line. The line is immaterial. You can hardly imagine that Lord Blacknell and I would dream of our only daughter, a girl brought up with the utmost care, to marry into a cloakroom and form an alliance with a parcel. And it is like mm-hmm. that. That line is so good because you had that surprise of the handbag, and then form an alliance with a parcel, and then like the payoff in the end of like why he ended up in the handbag. Well, there's yeah. like an inevitability to that. We have it's all of so the discussion surprising. of the of the three volume novel, mm-hmm. and right. and you're you know you don't think much of it, and then all of a sudden we find out that Miss Prism wrote a three volume novel and was going mm-hmm. to go mail the three volume novel to a publisher, <laughs> and put that in the perambulator, the stroller, and put the baby in the handbag, <laughs> <laughs> which then is like again that like okay she's flighty whatever this is all inevitable but mm-hmm. then that's surprising that that she had that moment and then the surprise keeps going because like obviously now we're in the same family and the bro- with the big reveal at the end is that they are brothers after yeah both pretending that right. they had a brother and a friend amy when were you introduced to this book or the play oscar wilde um so i it's possible that the 2002 movie was the first time I was introduced to mm-hmm. the, this. Um, I, I I actually had known Dorian Gray before that, but, um, and I feel like Oscar Wilde just comes up all the time. Like, even if you don't necessarily know um, that something that you're reading is from Oscar Wilde, like almost everybody has stolen a quote from right. <laughs> Oscar I mean, Wilde. My um, case in point, one of my favorite lines in this movie is, all women are like their mothers. That is their tragedy. No man does. That's his. I mean, that line is everywhere <laughs> to the point that I'm like, I forget that this is an Oscar Wilde quote. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have, I've seen the play though as well. And, um, and, and yeah, and, and I, when, when I found out that this was going to be the movie that we were going to do for this, um, I, my parents were visiting and we watched it. And I remember I had watched it with them as well. I've seen the original as well um, at some point, but uh, yeah, it's, um, this is a great choice. And I felt like it was a good choice for me because of the, like the humor um, side of things is something I gravitate towards in general. I am definitely a comedy person and it's just, it's so quick. It's so, 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 so quick. Um, I was, when I was watching it this time and like, you know, from an analytical perspective, just trying to picture like seeing this as a play, like not as a movie and, you know, seeing it premiere when 18, 1895, uh, Valentine's day, 1895. Um, that's so fitting. (laughs) That's actually really fun. I, I did a couple scenes from this at like a Valentine's dinner years and years and years ago here in town yeah I wasn't supposed to be in it I was directing it with some teenagers from the drama club at the high school and one of them got like mono or something right like a week before and so I had to be um Lady Danbury or how funny what her name is (laughs) so I was just sitting there thinking like this is just is this the best mistaken identity story ever? Yes. Like, that's it's what I would so have been good. thinking if I sat in the audience of this play. I think I would have been like, holy shit. Well, like, what is oh. going on? It's so, you know, I don't know, man. It's, it's, I'm going good. to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's up there, but 12th night. I think it's the, 12th night. 
Twelfth Night. But Twelfth Night, you know. Oh, you're right. There's a twist in this one. Well, no, right. but I know the mistake. I mean, the twist, mistaken identity. But then the whole, you know, throughout they're making up Ernest with Algernon and yeah, like that mistaken identity. Yeah. So I, so I mean, I think I, it's I love just both the. I, I think, I think probably it's, Oscar Wilde was inspired by Shakespeare. I'm sure. Probably. I think it's just that where it really gets me is like Jack's whole thing with it is pretty straightforward. Like, okay. And we know that there's still going to be some hilarity ensuing with that. It's when Algernon decides, Oh, you know what? Fuck it. I can be earnest and I'm going out there. Cause I know he's got a cute little, cute little girl at his house somewhere. It's either his aunt or his niece or something. I don't know. But like, well, and like the whole, I mean, yeah, I was like, okay, she's like, and knowing full well that his cousin thinks he's earnest and right. could show up at any time. He just doesn't give a shit. He's like, I'm doing it. I'm taking a hot air balloon. Obviously, that's not in the play, but in the movie, I loved it. I loved Which, it that he's like, yeah, I'll take a hot air balloon. Can we talk about I, the credit? He has Rupert. money problems, <laughs> and he, but he commissions a hot air balloon to take him multiple hours well, out to the country. But that's okay, because his brother can pay for everything. His brother, his friend. <laughs> when we think that when when... He's saying his brother, but we know right now we know that they're friends, Algernon and Jack, and then later they're actually brothers. But Ernest is, and and then the, like the complication of, I love the complication that they both pretend to be Ernest. Like the guy, yes. you know, Jack is Ernest in the city because he can tell people in the countryside that he's going to see his help his like no er, ne'er do well brother. And then Erna, and then Algernon's like, oh, like, and Bumbery, who doesn't exist, and all of the, like, Bumbery. Bumbering, and uh, Judy Dench, and all of her lunch. Judy Dench. Lady Bracknell Lady has Bracknell, no bad right. line. Zero bad lines. No, she's and perfect. All- every line read is brilliant. I mean, as I said, Judy Dench. Now, the- she's done this, she has done this on stage. Of course she has. More than once, has. I want to say. I just, like before this and potentially after this, I think I was reading, but I know she did it before this, like the, and like not too terribly long before this. Like this was a recent reprisal, I believe. She's so good. I mean, just so like her air of snobbery <laughs> is bar none. Like, I, 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 I hate, hate to say, say it. I hate to say it. Because I don't mind this actress at all, but the weak link is the American insert, and she's not even bad, but she is, yeah, but she is the weakest link, and and like I'm saying that, and she's not bad. She does a pretty good job. Like her accent's not bad. The character is is hilarious and adorable. Um, Mm -hmm. She does have my worst line. Is it? Oh, does she? Okay. We're just going to dive into it right away. Let's okay? just jump in. Um, yeah. I, I don't really think we're going to be able to like do a nice, concise. We've already like spoiled everything. We've already talked about the you main don't thing. Know I don't this... think we can do like a nice, concice plot thing. It, there it, is no this, nice, this play plot. is like boom, 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 boom. If you try to explain it, you end up explaining the whole thing and every single little scene, and that's just impossible. So just it's, go watch the movie. It's, it's a it's comedy of errors. Worth your time. A comedy of errors. It is short. It is an hour and a half. And I wish that I had um, a paper copy of this. But I think Melanie, you said you found the the, I found whole, the, play I found the whole play online. I used to have really... a paper copy, and I think I gave it to one of the teenagers when mm-hmm. we did this. Yeah, it was really hard to actually. I mean, in this one, it was really hard to follow the script. So and because they cut it, they yeah. condense it. They condense the play, and they move scenes around to work for the movie storytelling. Yeah. So, like, there's a scene with. Uh, Cecily and Miss Prism that happens like middle of like Algernon and Jack are in the city and then you go to Cecily and Miss Prism and then you're back at Lady, the Brack, 
uh, Lady Bracknell and Gwendolyn, and that Cecily and Miss Prism scene no. doesn't happen until much later. So right, they, because it, they it probably comes... did all of Act One in like one or two set pieces. One. Exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's only three sets essentially. Yeah. So, so uh, this line just to me felt like a not Oscar Wilde and B probably not in the script. And, and I think it, it just wasn't needed. I think it didn't fit. It wasn't needed. It was bland. It wasn't funny. Like it just did. So (laughs) Algernon pretending to be earnest finally meets this object of his fascination, Cecily. And they go through this whole thing, which is absolutely hysterical. The the idea that she has had this ongoing fantasy, one-sided, imaginative relationship with, with Ernest, Ernest her, for I mean, years. Yes. <laughs> yes. So she's like, you know, she has all these wonderful lines about like, um, oh shit, what's the one I loved uh i remember quite well that i he's like she's like all the letters you wrote me and he's like i've never written you any letters and she says i remember quite well that i was forced to like to write your letters for you (laughs) which i think is so funny um and she's reading from her diary she's obsessed with her diary and she's reading from her diary like that he proposed and they were engaged for a couple weeks and she broke off and then they got back together and this whole discussion that it wouldn't be a, a true engagement if there wasn't, if she didn't break it off at least once. Cause he was upset <laughs> that they broke it off. Yeah. And, yes. yeah. and anyway, they end up just like making out <laughs> under this tree and he gets called away. Cause I think that's when the, the debtors from the, Savoy show up um right so they come looking for him they call him away and as he gets up and leaves she's like oh, I like his hair so much and I just thought it was like yeah he Rupert Everett has great hair yeah he does I don't yeah. know it's just I like his hair so much it's a very it seemed like a, a line that was very much inserted in there for like the American was that theater teen I, crowd? I don't know. Is that in the script? Like, I don't know. That's why I wanted to find like out. It. Like, but I don't have my book. <laughs> um, I can let me yeah. let me see if I can find it. Um, I yeah, because it does it does seem to. I, I remember bumping on that. It was now a couple weeks ago that I watched it, but I remember bumping on that too. Being like, yeah, it just doesn't seem to fit. No. It didn't. Yeah, it was almost like it was meant to reference something that they ultimately cut out. Maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they forgot that, that, or they just thought it seemed like it still fit. But yeah, I agree. It was yeah. just... Hmm. Um, no, it's in the script. Ah! Weird. But it, is it? But, but it's part of a line. The full line is, what an impetuous boy he is. I like his hair so much. I must enter his proposal in my diary. So I don't okay. know if that. I don't even I don't, know if that's necessary either. Like, but it's in the script. It's there. I think what an impetuous my... boy is much better. Yeah, because he's yes. so much older than her. <laughs> 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 and we know she's going to write this all down in her diary. And I think it's such a weird, that's also such a weird thing to say, like for a play, like I'm not, not, um, I'm sure Oscar Wilde has a, had a wonderful appreciation for a good head of hair on a man, but also like (laughs) you shouldn't include those types of physical details in a play because what if right. you you have to cast someone as Algernon based on their talent who, like, doesn't have a spectacular head of hair? Wigs, Jessica, wigs. <laughs> wigs. Um, True. I, I, okay, I don't mind that I have to write this down in my, his proposal down in my diary part because the frivolity, and, and that's the thing I think about the hair, is, like, this is so, like, overly satirized, these women uh, who are, yes. like, very just, like, oh, so, so in love with these two men who are just, you know, fools. Um, yeah, <laughs> overly satirized. They're so you know frivolous in some of this, and then mm-hmm. the so like I don't like 
Adele loved the line on his own, but then like with the, oh, I should write this down in my diary. And then in the movie, the payoff of them reading each other's diaries. Yes. Is a great. Uh, when she says, I never travel without my diary. One should always have something sensational to read on the train. Yes. That was one of my favorite. I love it. Yeah. Um, Amy, what was your worst line? So my worst line, I also was surprised to find that it was in the play. Um, because it seemed, I don't know, it just seemed out. It sets up some good lines from Lady Back- Bracknell, but, um, but on its own, I just didn't love, I never have loved it. And it was when they're at the house in the country and Lady Bracknell's there and she's asking about what happened to Bunbury and, and Algernon says he was quite exploded. Yes. Yes. And like, I love everything that comes after it, but every, and I know it's supposed to be like an off the cuff lie because Bumbery's never existed. And, and so like when you like an actual human person are in a weird situation, you might say something like that stupidly, but this is Oscar Wilde creating these really clever characters. And Algernon in particular has some like very uh, interesting wisdom throughout the whole thing. And for him to just like come up with this, oh, he was quite exploded. exploded. She I was just like, eh. exploded. Was he the victim of some revolutionary outrage? Yeah. <laughs> so I do. I love what it sets up. Yeah. It was just no, every time he says it, I'm always like, ah. <laughs> you would think he's, he's gotten this far. Like he's had Bunbury for a while. He's a talked time. to his, his aunt about Bunbury many, many times. You would think that he would have had in mind, like, Oh, an exit strategy. Yeah. When I'm going here and my aunt may come after me. So I should (laughs) think about like what, what did happen to Bunbury? Cause that's where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, I don't know. Maybe we can, we can chalk it up to like Algernon gets a little, a little, like he's over the top and pretty goofy the whole time. But like once he meets Cecily, there's he's just he's done he's completely mm-hmm. head over heels in love he cannot control himself he can't use his brain like that's and is very easily manipulated by Cecily <laughs> <laughs> yeah I do I remember being like exploded really really <laughs> I just thought like of all the things and like he he even came up with like you know a severe ch- a severe chill. I love that one actually, but like, but he was coming up with things yeah. for um, Jack, you know. So it's not like he he has no ideas to that come right. by. So it was just it was just kind of like that. People don't explode. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but and, and you're right. It does set up a great, a great snarky comeback. Yes, yes. Melanie, what was yours? I I'm trying to find it because I don't like. Hey, I don't remember. Um, it's hard but i I had a hard time like picking one period yes i had like i i had a very hard time i think i mean this is i know we talk jess we talk all about like of the time and whatnot constantly and this is like oscar wilde writing about a very like specific time so it's old and then old um and so like the whole ward and english society thing like i mean i'm just like wait a sec the, the, the ward jealousy where she where Gwendolyn is like jealous of Cecily as the like pretty yeah, young ward. I'm just like, for age. Just for age and also yeah. like the whole like power dynamic of that, like, oh, you have a ward that you're taking care of. She's like you're you're her guardian, but also like everybody's like, Oh my gosh, if she's pretty, I could never. Um I'm like, okay, this is very mm. But I, you know, English society in whenever this takes place, who am I to, I, I, I don't know anything about it. Um, so I, it's not great. Like not great. Patriarchy, not great. Um, actually, so I'm going to put that there, but like, I can't call that my worst line or any of that type of stuff. So like, I just had, like, I had a very hard time with choosing a, a worst line. And I think I don't love and this, I know, like, the whole thing of the movie is that we come up, like, the whole Ernest, like, the name, like, oh, I've always just dreamed I'd marry an Ernest. And I just, <laughs> I think, like, I just think that is so, like, 
ugh, I hate that, that she's like, oh, it's a, like, I don't know. So I, I, for sake of sheer, I need to choose something. And I realize this is a major plot point of the movie. But um, when Gwendolyn says, it suits, suits you perfectly, it's a divine name, it has a music of its own, it produces vibrations. I just, no, 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 no. She gets, she gets uh, quite, to, to use your word from a previous episode, lascivious when she says it produces vibrations. You can't just yes. like glom, you can't just like okay. throw it in there. <laughs> it produces I mean, vibrations. No, she's like, she's she's on the verge of like having some vibrations happen just herself. from talking okay, about so maybe, his name, which makes know, it even more ridiculous because right. it's, it's like, just a name. It's just a name. And the way they all, the way they, and it's a name that's like, associated with nobody for her. You know, it's just, oh, I've always liked, mm-hmm. and I've always said so, I would marry somebody named Ernest. And it's like, and then Cecily then repeating it. I'm like, this is, I know yeah. this is, satire i know this is supposed to be dumb like spoofing society and yeah. it is it is like that to me is a level of ridiculousness that i'm just like i just i cannot i can't i can't with it i think that in this movie i mean i've never seen it live i wish i would have seen it live at some point in my life but um in this movie she really takes it over the top like mm-hmm. Gwendolyn I, I think I ne- I don't get that same like yeah Cecily has lines about it and she talks about it but she doesn't ever seem like attached to anything honestly right. like she talks like... like she is but she really isn't uh, I mean, she is in it for for the just the fantasy she is ready to just be swept away and whatever she doesn't girl care but Gwendolyn gets mm-hmm. like yes annoyingly and kind of ridiculously dramatically attached to this name right (laughs) to the point that he freaking lies to her at the end that his name Uh, really is Ernest. i think the um i like i think the like i mean obviously it's not the ending line of i've realized for the first time in my my life the importance being Ernest, but um and then e a R N E S T versus E R N E S T. But like, and I she think says, challenge was uh, like, she I, says, um, maybe with the performance that I was like, this is just so like, you don't like him for anything else. Like there's no, it, because I think in the performance it very much seems she's like kind of like indifferent to him except for his name. And then like, that isn't the case, but I think, I don't know. Maybe I think she just likes then. that he loves her well, and she gets herself yeah. like, worked up about this name for whatever reason which we don't really ever hear about like like amy was saying like why it doesn't mean anything yeah. to her like that we know of if there's some like backstory we're missing yeah i think well yeah i think the setup is just i think <laughs> so all roads lead to that fine that last line i've now mm-hmm. realized for the first time in my well, life about the importance of being earnest i like lady bracknell's line because she says you seem to be displaying signs of triviality, but it's like, what the right. fuck has your daughter been doing? This is the most trivial right. bullshit ever. <laughs> like you raised her. <laughs> I think he's just trying to make your daughter happy because she's kind of uh, stuck kind of, up brat yeah. about people's names. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like far be it for me to critique Oscar Wilde. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. <laughs> I, far be it for me to critique a plot device, a major plot device from Oscar Wilde. Again, I think I think it came down to the line read. And I think the actress does an excellent job throughout the rest of this movie. I think that line read was just like, it was just like too much too soon, I think, for me. But again, this yeah. is, it's supposed to be over the top and all that. Yes. So I am being, I am picking up hairs. Don't come at me. Like, this is where I'm at. But like, I think when compared to the line reads of so many other people in this movie, and like, I hear what you're saying about Reese Witherspoon and she's like fresh off Legally Blonde when she does this. Yeah. Although she looks, I mean, and she's supposed to, she looks so much younger here. Yeah. Than Legally Blonde. But she, I think has some excellent line reads. I mean, obviously Colin Firth and uh, Rupert Everett, excellent. And their banter and timing is so good together. And then Dame Judi Dench, like, yeah, what what else is there to say? I think just mm-hmm. that line read, I was like, there's so much subtlety in so many of the other things, and then that line read is not subtle in a way that I'm like, takes me out of it. 
we spent a long time now assessing why I don't like this line because I couldn't tell you. Okay. No, it's always Um, been weird too. And like I said, the way that she says, like it produces vibrations. I was like, ma'am, your mother is in the next room. Your mother who, um, well, and there's, if your mother is the paragon of writing, I just like, I think the lines that Lady Bracknell has are just so smart. Yes. Uh, when she says, pardon me, you're not engaged to anyone. When you do begin engaged yes. to someone, I or father, your father will inform you of that fact, which like, yes, arranged marriages, but just the way that it's phrased is so good. I love when uh, she first shows up and uh, she asks Algernon how he is. And he's like, I'm feeling very, or, or no, she, I forget what she, she asks him something. Uh, and he says, I'm feeling very well, Aunt Augusta. And she says, that's not quite the same thing. In fact, the two things yes. rarely go together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she definitely has like the more like, so actually Colin Firth plays, I guess what I would consider sort of like her counterpart, but not really because he's not so like stuck up and rigid in in the film the 2000s film version of dorian gray he plays lord walton or walton or whatever um Mm -hmm. and like i've oh every time i read that book it's like he always has a character that is kind of a vehicle for like a majority of his like jokes i mean they're not jokes but it's like oh you know if if oscar wilde was just like a stand-up comedian right and he was out there like just sort of saying, well, I thought of this thing the other day and it sounded really funny. Like he always has a character like that, like that has a majority of his like really insightful social commentary. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think that's really uh, Lady Bracknell in this. Um, Everybody else is, it's sort of, you know, working through the plot, but she is like the, the barometer of like, well, no, here's what we're supposed to be doing. And, um, and, and so also really like keeping on... things on that social track and, and, uh, yeah. And, yeah. Like... and so, and then, but like in Dorian Gray, that, that character that Dorian, you know, ends up be, being sort of like, I don't know, mentor is the best word, but like, he's like everything he says is just some like little witty commentary or observation so it kind of like it's kind of like flipped on its head because like he's he's part of it but he sort of doesn't approve of it whereas like mm-hmm. lady bracknell is like i am a part of this and it's gonna stay this way well and, <laughs> this is the right and then what's also so so good about that character is you have yes it is this way i'm part of this way but all of her lines also call out the problems with it in this way. Right, right. Way. We look mm-hmm. at her and we say, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of his other characters are saying it's ridiculous, but we're looking at her behavior and saying like, oh, that's really silly. Case in point, one of my, one of my favorite lines is fortunately in England at any rate, education produces no effect whatsoever. If it did, <laughs> yes. if it, did it would prove a serious danger to the upper classes and probably lead to acts of violence in Grosvenor Square, which, like, <laughs> what a line, because yeah. it is still, like, I mean, that is the argument for defunding education that we see now, or, like, yeah. any sort, I mean, in any sort of, you want to keep people, if you want to remain in power, you don't want to educate people who aren't in power. Like, mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. exactly the point, and that line she says it as a member of that class, but Oscar Wilde, in his genius, is is pinpointing the issue with it right there. Yeah. And it, having it come from somebody of the upper class is brilliant. Yeah. There are just, like, so many other lines that she says throughout this. Again, Dame Judi Dench. I could make this... I'm going to try to not make this a Dame Judi Dench appreciation podcast because I really, really could. And I just, like, I can't... I also can't refer to her without her full name, like, yeah well she earned it i mean (laughs) but also okay one of my favorite jokes i've ever written and just this is going to be a script that i will send you um soon um to read but i wrote this script and i had a character like two characters who didn't like each other but one of them is like this frizz eccentric woman and she was late to something she goes oh my gosh i'm so sorry i'm late dame judy dench was having a crisis and then this like 
auxiliary characters like Jay and Judy Dench, you know her, and then the character that doesn't like the first character goes, it's her cat. And I am, <laughs> I am still Great. proud of that. I wrote that when I was 16. And um, I am not a cat person. I do not, like, I don't want to have a cat. But if it's I, great I kind of want a cat thing. just to name it Dame Judy Dench. It works for a small day. dog. Works for a small true. dog, it's too. True. I, it's, it's like a little more pretentious. Like, for a small dog, I'm just like, that's, I feel like for a small dog, you're like, that's saying something. If you name like a chihuahua, Dame Judy Tench, you're like, wow, you're a spoiled brat. But if you name a cat, Dame Judy Tench, it is a like indifferent, like, I don't give a fuck. Like yeah, that, it's, it's true. It hits differently. It hits differently. Anyway. It's very true. I digress. <laughs> but Dame Judy Tench appreciation. Well, here we go. Before somebody throws it out there, as we're talking about our Judy Dench lines, I, I gotta do, we'll just go. It's best line. Best line time. Are you ready? Yes, I confess. For it. I am somewhat bewildered by what you have just told me. To be born, or at any rate, bred in a handbag, whether it has handles or not, seems to me to display a contempt for the ordinary decencies of family life, which remind one of the worst excesses of the French Revolution. And I presume you know what that unfortunate movement led to. That's it. <laughs> I have no... I have very little justification for it it has always been my favorite line it's just perfect it's it's just perfect it's literally a perfect that whole scene is perfect as we talked about like the uh just the setting up of the handbag the handbag is like <laughs> the most ridiculous thing it's so funny it's so good it's so creative and unique and hysterical and like the, their entire conversation about the handbag when it comes up her face they both both of them do this very very um incredible job of like we talk about micro expressions a lot they Mm -hmm. do the opposite they act by not changing their expression at all and i love uh, colin 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 firth is is fantastic at doing this thing where he like really doesn't change his expression and that speaks even more than if he had had like a little micro expression and he does that multiple mm-hmm. times in this scene and so does she she does have some really good like tiny reactions that i think do a really good job of like uh capturing how you were supposed to like remain composed and but she's also like just completely aghast and trying to show him like that she's passing this absurd amount of judgment on him for a situation <laughs> that was entirely out of his control. Um, right. But like, it's like she has a couple little like, Oh, <laughs> where she just literally like can't control her breath <laughs> or her throat. Um, but he does this like a lot in this scene and he does it again, like, uh, in a couple scenes with like when Algernon shows up and it's just like somebody will say something to him and his expression will not change at all. And the camera will just go to his face and he, he doesn't move. And it's like, that's, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> I would have been, I'm sure we could have found like a tiny little expression change that would have also been funny. But I also like this idea of like, I, I can't even come up with any response to what you just did like not even a a twitch of my lip will I dignify what you just did or said (laughs) like he just he can't fathom it or he's just not going to respond to it even with a like a shift of his eyes it's fantastic yeah it's It's wonderful I wanted to go watch a bunch of more like a bunch more Colin Firth movies to see if that was something he does like all the time or if he was just doing it with that character i'm guessing he does it a lot <laughs> he, de- he definitely does it as darcy okay mm. uh, yeah i haven't watched that one in a long time neither yeah. trying to th- uh, i just Amy, watched him your... in something else recently Amy, what's, your, um, what's your uh my my best, best line? line um okay so i had many uh but the one that just like Every single time I see this, I just, I cannot help but laugh. It's a scene where um, Algernon has been holding on to uh, Jack's cigarette case Mm -hmm. for a while. (laughs) And apparently he's been like snooping in it because he sees the inscription. And, um, and 
and he he confronts Jack about it because he's like, oh, who's you know who's Cecily? And and Jack's like, oh, well, you must know she's my aunt, the lovely lady, whatever. And so then he starts. So Algernon says he like reads out the inscription and he has like some comments from little Cecily with her fondest love to her dear uncle Jack. There is no objection, I admit, to an aunt being a small aunt. <laughs> aunt, no matter what her size may be, should call, call her, her own nephew, nephew her uncle. Her uncle. <laughs> I can't make up. Every time, it like it like blindsides me every time too. Like I forget it's there, and then I just I'm like crying, I'm laughing so hard. I love that he has so many good lines. Oh, well, and like let's also just like throw out I. I Every single time I watch this movie, or really anything he's in for that matter, and it's far too little. I love Rupert Everett. He yes. is not in enough. Like I I mean, I guess he's been in plenty recently, and I just not things that I have seen or like big things, but he had a moment there in the like late nineties, early two thousand. Post my best friend's wedding. Best friend's wedding. Yep. Post my best friend's wedding, where he was just like everywhere. And I he- Love he that. has done, he did another importance, or he did another Oscar Wilde. Um, he did the ideal husband, an ideal husband. He was in so many things in the early 2000s, late 90s, and I just haven't seen him in as much. And he is just so funny. So, he, so good. I mean, I think he does a lot more like in written and i think I'm he does sure a lot does. more stage work like I'm i want to sh- say sure as far as american audiences he probably shoehorned himself to his my best friend's wedding character yeah because because i mean he carried that whole movie that movie would not be the movie it is if you didn't have that character i mean if you didn't have him that movie it would not Nobody would have been able to like stand any other character in that movie. No, and it, it, it's a hard movie to rewatch anyway. Like, <laughs> but he he creates every single memorable scene. He he's like just so supportive while all these people are being terrible, and he like is the one to put the bow on the ending that we had to to get to, like the ending that was not supposed to be the ending and like w- without getting too far into that movie he, he makes that movie he makes that movie <laughs> and he has nothing to do with like the main romantic plot of that romantic comedy it's not a romantic movie whatsoever but like <laughs> yeah he just he and so i think that's really what like then americans expected to see from him but it was also during this like uh dry dry spell slash like i want to say the height of like the oversimplification of the gay best friend character yeah and so i can imagine that he probably got that was right around sex in the city time like stanford and and will and grace like will and grace pop up popped up right after that Mm -hmm. and like i don't know i think he probably I would assume he probably got offered a lot more roles like that in the United States. And it was probably just like, no, when, when you're, (laughs) when you can do this and should be doing this, like do the good stuff. Um, anyway, I just, I love him. I think he's so good as Algernon. And it's like, it's always just such a delight when it's like, Oh yeah, Rupert Everett. He's so good. I mean, one of my favorite lines, this is not my best line, but it's one of those lines that every time he says it, I'm just like, you know what, dude, same um and i highlighted it as such when the when the women um realize that they've been lied to and they're like hey like you know you know they'll let us go into this house they will hardly venture to come after us there no no men are so cowardly aren't they which also like the power held by all the women in this movie like the power is definitely held by the women and yeah. it's so good <laughs> um the men are just playthings and helpless and then they're sitting there and eating like you know muffins and oh god i love and the, um <laughs> and they're like and colin firth is like incredulous that how he's could eating. you sit there and eat muffins and at a so, time like this this is not in my that best calm line. manner in that calm right. manner this is not my best line but i as i said every time he says it i'm like i mean dude same because when i'm in trouble eating is the only thing that consoles me oh and, <laughs> and i like indeed, how he says 
Oh, go ahead. Indeed, when I'm really in great trouble, as anyone who knows me will me intimately will tell you, I refuse everything except food and drink. And I'm just like, <laughs> yes. you know what, dude? Same. Like, I mean, not, not so much the drink, but the, the, like when, when I'm really upset, all I want is food. And like, if I'm, like, I mean, anybody who's traveled with me knows, like, if I seem like if I am like not happy and in a cranky mood, the answer is feed Melanie because like, my, yeah. And like, I that line just makes me crack up because I'm like, well, that isn't the most relatable line of the movie. Um, so I like what he says right line. before. Because he's mad that he's, like, eating calmly. Oh, you can sit there calmly eating muffins when we're in this horrible trouble. I can't make out. You seem to me to be perfectly heartless. I can hardly eat muffins in an agitated manner, can I? Butter would probably get on my cusp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Butter would probably get on my cuffs. <laughs> I, think, I think the best line, and... You both have chosen several that I think are best lines, but again, choosing a, a best line of all of the good, good lines in an Oscar Wilde movie is so hard. I mean, the whole setup of Bunbury could be, like, could be my best line because that predicates, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it actually might be. And then there, and there, I have a few different, like, setups of it that I could have chosen, but they all end up dealing with Bunbury because that really does... When he calls Excellent. Lane in and says, tomorrow I'm going bunburying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love yeah, that. He just so, turns it into a verb. <laughs> I think I have to, I think I have to say um, that probably my best line, I don't know if that's my favorite, but it's probably what I think is the best line because it sets up, it sets up the comedy and the, the conflict of the movie is I've invented an invaluable permanent in, invalid called Bunbury in order that I may be able to go down to the country whenever I choose. Bunbury is perfectly invaluable. If it wasn't for Bunbury's extraordinary bad health, for instance, I wouldn't be able to dine with you at Willis's tonight, for I've really engaged to answer Desta more than a week, for more than a week. And I, um, I just like really love that. Invaluable permanent invalid. Invalid. And, and that's like the middle of that. I have invented an invaluable permanent permanent invalid called Bunbury in order that I may be able to go to, to town and country whenever I choose. Bunbury is perfectly invaluable. Like that to me, like that's what the movie is so much. There's like other parts that this rests on, obviously like the earnest stuff, but it, which was my worst line. So, I mean, I guess my, following generally my own logic, like that doesn't work, but uh, it wasn't about earnest. It was the, the line read, but that Bunburying part, it's like everything is rest on this. I don't think it's my favorite of the Bunbury lines though, because my favorite ones both go to Lady Bracknell and they yes. are. I was just going to ask, do you have the one where she's like asking, you know, can you ask him yes. to decide well, if he's going to live or die? Well, I must say, Algie, I think it is high time Mr. Bunbury made up his mind whether he was going to live or die. The shilly shallying with the question is absurd. I should be much obliged if you would ask Mr. Bunbury from me to be kind enough not to have a relapse next Saturday. It is my last reception, and I rely on you to arrange my music for <laughs> Yes! And then only to be followed up later, after Algernon kills Bunbury, he seems to have... He goes, my dear Augusta, he was found out. The doctors found out that Bunbury could not live. That's what I mean. So Bunbury died. He seems to have great confidence in the opinion of his position. <laughs> I am glad, however... That he made up his mind at the last <laughs> to some definite course of action and acted under proper medical advice. <laughs> and it's so, it is like so <laughs> withering and basically like you're glad that this man is, is acted under proper medical advice. As if you can advice. just decide, oh, my doctor die. says I can't live anymore. I will now just no. die. Die. Um, as if you can also decide as a six-month-old baby if you're going to be left in a handbag like this. She just places so much, like, uh, is faith the incredulity. in... <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think it's, uh, like, part of it is that, like, she has so yeah. much power in every situation, right? So, like, it would make yeah. sense for her character sort of to project that out the, like... Like, oh, yeah. the other people in power in this situation <laughs> have decided for Bunbury. So, <laughs> like, oh, my so gosh. And so wonderful at the same time. And, like, uh, never speak disrespectfully of society, Algernon. Only people who can't get into it do that. And then I don't – I is this a Bracknell line? I feel like it should be, but I 
it might not be. And I wrote it down because I think this line is just another one of those, like, perfectly gets to the core of things. London society is full of women of the very highest birth who have of their free choice remained 35 for years and it's it had to be and like and again i live in la so i mean and this is not a particular to la thing but like have their own choice remain 35 for years (laughs) 35 is a wonderful age to be married yes in the script or no it's because it's because cecily (laughs) doesn't become until 35. 35 i love too when when uh, they find they're right. coming to a standstill because he's like because jack is is like the uh executor of cecily's trust and mm-hmm. she wants cecily to get married to algernon because right. algernon has a bunch of debt and cecily has a bunch of money from the worthing estate which is the the man who found and adopted jack mm-hmm. um and, but he's kind of holding there. He would have to, he would have to say it's okay for her to get married to Algernon. And he's not going to do that unless Lady Bracknell lets him marry Gwendolyn. And, <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. he's not going to do it. She's not going to do it. So he's not going to let Cecily marry Algernon. And, and I think Cecily says, then a passionate celibacy is all any of us can look forward to. (laughs) And she says it so well, too. Like, I mean, I do love all of, like, there's so, I mean, this is one of the ways that film adds things that stage dope, but all of the, like, renderings of Cecily's dream world are so over the top and funny. I mean, there's so many, talk about the, the subtleties of some of the choices and the acting of this movie, but there are some things too. They're like, that is asinine and ridiculous. Like, I mean, the air balloon, the, when they're yes. giving them the silent treatment and, you know, the subtle reading each other's diaries, which is so funny. But at the same time, they're like singing outside and like, Rupert yes. has and then the piano, and they just pick the up moving, the baby grand piano, it's just moving. And I'm like, this is so funny. Um, I love I love Gwendolyn's line when they're singing. They come inside and start singing, and they've decided that they're going to have a dignified silence. Yes, and, I heard that and she says too. this dignified silence seems to produce an unpleasant. Most <laughs> distasteful. Um, well, and I also love the passive aggressiveness of those two. Like the when those two characters meet, Tesla and Gwendolyn. At first, it's like she's like, "Oh, I'm never wrong about people. I have great, like, great." Um, my impressions of people are never wrong. And then they like, I knew then the she realizes <laughs> that she's the ward and like the earnest and, and the passive aggressive, like the way they both play passive aggressive is so good. Mm-hmm. Which it's, I've never understood. Like how does, how does Cecily know how to be that way? Right. It seemed really out of character for Cecily. Like who is she? She's never been around another woman before. I know, that- She's never been part of society. Miss Prism. Maybe maybe a few of those three-volume novels have been her. It's got to be the three-volume novels. She lives in, which I think is why her dream world is so effective, too. It's because, you're right, she hasn't lived in society. She hasn't had these social cues to learn any of this, but she spends so much time in her books and her fantasy world and, you know, all of this fantasy life she's concocted. I mean, her, like, you know, one-sided romance with the diaries, which is just, like, I, like, you know, I laugh at being, you know, a 16-year-old, and I have embarrassingly a 100-page running script that I wrote of, like, a fantasy life from when I was, like, 15 to 6, like, you know, probably, like, 15 to 18, that I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write this out in documented form. Um, <laughs> but, like, I understand that, like, it's so frivolous and girly, but I'm like, yeah, of course, of course that makes sense that she's in that dream world and she's learning it from the books and like, she sees it. And I mean, heck I, like, I do it now with shows being like, Oh, I like this world of the show is so great. I'm like immersed myself in it and get lost in it. And so I just, I love that about the character. That it's so, she's so like, you know, has this idea of what her life is that doesn't yeah. match reality at all. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's not, not real at all, but you know, I love it. We don't talk about Prism. I don't have anything written down from Prism of the other characters, actually. I don't... Oh, yeah. I don't think I really have much from Prism. There's a lot about her, like, when when 
Lady. I mean, Brackle. she's a very. I mean, she's a critical character to the story. Yes. Like, yes. Critical. She just she just doesn't have any funny lines. I don't think no. like her character is sort of funny, and then like the whole romance with her and the unspoken romance with her and um i know i'm trying to think of his name too is he dr chasuble yeah that's right and um (laughs) i i do love though when lady bracknell is like explaining what happened that miss prism was her sister's nanny uh lost the baby ran off and they're like uh, you know that we found the the stroller that the baby was supposed to be in, and in its place there was a three volume novel of more than usually revolting sentimentality. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Again, um, Lady Bracknell. Lady Bracknell makes this. Yeah, she does. Yeah, or, and just to play in general. And then, and then I love too when she. God, it's so funny when he he's like, "I hate to be inquisitive, but could, could you please tell me who I am?" And he, she says. You know, because because he thinks maybe Miss Prism's his mother, and then he thinks mm-hmm. Lady Bracknell is his mother, and then which he's way too excited about, considering that he is completely head over heels in love with Gwendolyn. But right, then he's exactly. like, she's like, no, I'm not your mother. Um, you are my sister's child, or which, he, that's what. And then and then he's like, oh, could you tell me my father's name? And she says, I cannot present recall. I cannot at present recall what the general's name was. I have no doubt he had one. (laughs) Speaking about performances, though, there's such good lines in that scene, but what is so... We talked about um, Colin Firth's uh, subtlety with his reactions, and then you get the broadest, broadest bit of acting here, and I think it's so satisfying because you see him, like, He's pretty subtle and understated through a lot of it. He lets, you know, he lets Rupert Everett be over the top. He lets Reese Witherspoon, mm-hmm. like other people are over the top. But then he's, and then his mom. This, this scene where he realizes that he has a brother and goes yeah. off the walls bananas is so satisfying yeah. because mm-hmm. he is like, I always said I had a brother. And like the way they two play yeah. together, I'm just like, yes, thanks. <laughs> Why does Algernon faint? Though, like, know, like, pretends yeah. to faint it's very silly yeah it's so that's what it is it's just silly it's just frivolous it is silly. it's so fun uh it's it's just so delightful and it's a short movie which you know is something that i'm always gonna be a fan of i could watch this again and again because it's just so charming and smart and witty and uh, i love it there's so much we could talk about in this i would love to do i would love to do more oscar wilde I mean, this was hard. This was hard to go through. It was and hard. Like, it was hard to choose a worst line. I think there are so many best lines, which, I mean, I think we've just said this about a lot of things that we think are really tightly constructed. I would love to see, I mean, I don't think we necess- we need a remake of this. I think it's so good, but it's so, I would love to see, like, you know, a stage version. I would love to see, like, a stage version of this because I haven't seen it played. Yeah, I haven't seen it on stage. In the real, on stage either. And it would. I would love to see how it compares to the movie, which, I mean, I know it's, slightly different but there's a lot that's very very true to the original play um any last thoughts about the importance of being earnest i just like go watch it i mean if you didn't didn't stop Mm -hmm. like you didn't pause this when we were 15 minutes in and go watch it and then you (laughs) listened to all of this where we spoiled all the good stuff it's not really (laughs) spoiled though like when you see it happen it's still they're the but, type of uh, jokes that I know they're coming and they're still funny. So, yeah. so yeah. You, um, you just you go watch it. Go watch it. Go read go. some Oscar Wilde. Yep. Yes, Amy. Do you have anything you know. you'd like to plug? I know Jessica was talking tell about us, fabulous books. Earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. and tell us about your podcast. You have a podcast as well, or you're part of a collaborative podcast. Yes, that's true. It's called The Pens and the Bookmarks, and it is um, it's three authors and two like bookstagrammers, read, like avid readers. They read so much more than I do. Yeah, <laughs> bookstagrammers, like, I I always feel inadequate. I always think I'm doing a great <laughs> job reading, and then I'm like, like some bookstagrammer that I follow is like, I read seven books this week. I'm like, or, or like, and it's Wednesday, and I'm like... <laughs> 
oh my God, I read like three chapters and I might finish my book this week, like one. <laughs> I know it's rough. Cause I, you know, like I just hit, I think I just hit 20 books this year or something. Like I just read mm-hmm. my 20th book and somebody was like, I read these 20 books in May. I was like, oh, yeah, exactly. I think I read, yeah. I always so try to read, I, my goal is to read a book a month. I think that's about what and I, or like a book every couple of weeks. And I go through phases. Sometimes it's really big and not, but mm-hmm. that is cool that you are a part of this podcast. Where, what is it called? Where can we find it? Yeah, sure. It's called the pens and the bookmarks. Okay. And um, we essentially the, the premise is we try to try, we try to discuss things that might be a little bit different from both an author oh, and a reader standpoint, cool. like okay. things that we might understand differently from those two different audiences, um, even though we all love books. Uh, and you can find it on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, we, um, we put it up on nice. YouTube as well. So it can be it's anywhere. And yeah, um, and yeah, I write a humorous fantasy, adult humorous fantasy yes, adventure series, uh, which can be found on. I don't think that's a distinction that we really need to make for this podcast, though. I think our <laughs> our crowd is is pretty used to everyone's usage of fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and and where can your books be found? The fantasy series. Uh, I mean, pretty much anywhere books are sold. sold. Uh, I have this dream that at some point I will do. So originally when I wrote the books, I had footnotes because I think footnotes are hilarious. Hilarious. Um, Oh yeah, absolutely. So pretty much anything you see in parentheses and a few things you might just see between commas, like used to be a footnote. And I have this dream that someday I will do like the footnoted version of the books and maybe have some like additional content in the back, Mm -hmm. like, like annotated kind of stuff. I'll let you know all right <laughs> it's yeah it's very funny very funny i highly recommend it i think if anyone follows me on instagram i've probably already recommended Ooh. it at least once or twice and i'm sure as i move through the series i will keep recommending it it feels like it was written for me i know <laughs> it wasn't but it feels like it was so i will just who knows pretend as always, that just leaves us to say, uh, follow us on Best Line, Worst Line. Um, you can go to our website, bestlinewarsline.com. You could follow us anywhere and Amy's other podcast, anywhere that book or that podcasts yes. exist. Um, uh, please subscribe, uh, rate and review, download. It really helps us out. And um, thanks for joining. See you next time. Bye. you know, Mr. Worthing, in an age of ideals, and my ideal has always been to love someone of the name of Ernest.